welcome, welcome everyone. Welcome again to T3 Podcast. This is your host, Larry Lou, and this is T3 Podcast Transformation Through Truth. www.t3lifecoaching.org is how I can be reached if you need any assistance getting to the path or while you're on the path of transformation glad you can join me again people so let's get to it this is the roundup to the series love style i went through all six and i'm going to sum it up today i'm going to give you something to really really think about it's it's something that we all struggle with um so this podcast is called appraisal and bestowal appraisal and bestowal but first just let me give you a summary of what we've been talking about over the last few weeks eros storge ludus mania pragma and agape and i just want to kind of highlight some things that we may that we may have discussed or maybe shed some light on some things that you just maybe didn't know, which will be a couple things because I explained before the difference between compound and a mixture. And we're going to talk about three mixtures today. The mixture of mania, the mixture of pragma, and the mixture of agape. But some highlights to the series. And we'll start with you know what I feel is most important what I feel you all will get the most out of because it seems to be a culture and I including myself in this that emotion should guide us when we're talking about finding that special person that special someone in our life and I'm not disagreeing with that but I just don't think that is the whole story as a lot of you already know Well, eros, for instance, depends on feelings and attraction when trusting someone, while pragma distrusts feelings when they are looking for that mate. Eros' decision is based on feelings. Pragma, for instance, is based on calculation. Eros believes that if the sex is not good, the relationship is basically over, whereas Ludus would just walk away seeing that there was no relationship to begin with. And Pragma sees it as a problem that can be simply solved with maybe some expert outside help. If we're talking about comparing a lot of these love styles, um, there seems to be a belief that Pragma is the only one that kind of compares when that's not true just because you compare and you're you calculate doesn't mean that you're of that you're of pragma um of the pragma culture eros compares body hair looks for example ludus compares alternative experiences you know ludus doesn't really commit And so a lot of people, you know, feel that they don't compare because anybody will do. They're not picky. 
But what they do compare is alternative experiences. That's their thing. They love the experience of the new. And then Storge, you know, compares between their friends. Storge Ludus is the mixture that I was talking about. And it is the mixture to its opposite, Pragma. Where Pragma is Ludus Storge, this is simply Storge Ludus. And it's just a mixture. The author didn't come up with a name for it. And although they may be married, and we're talking about the Storge Ludus, the opposite of the Pragma love style, although married, it does not, or they do not want the commitment, even though they might be married, because let's face it, this culture, most people will prefer to be married. There's sort of a stigma attached to not being married and then those who you know really kind of don't care about the stigma some people will marry just because they're getting older and don't want to be alone or need someone to take care of them if if they get sick or something those are realities that a lot of people think about and that are actually true uh, for a lot of people so they wind up marrying for those benefits and so even though they may be married they're not really committed so they will have secret affairs although being very careful not to disrupt the other's household and this is one thing that is scary about storge ludus the opposite of pragma is because when they do get in these secret affairs or secret relationships, it's often with someone that they know. That's that story gay part. They don't often go out with strangers. That would be more of a ludus eros where that, that is kind of exciting for that love style. And that's uh, ludus eros is the opposite of mania. But Storge Ludus, they will have these secret affairs and it can, just think about it, it can really turn ugly because they are having these affairs with people that they know. And a lot of times where it goes all the way left is that they're having these affairs with people that they know and they also may know their mate. For example, there was a couple that was seeing each other for years. I mean, 12, 15, 20 years. They worked together. And they would sneak around on their mates. And to their mates, as far as their loved ones, their beloveds were concerned, the wife, the husband, they were just friends. But they were more than that. So they're breaking bread together. They're going out on trips and going on vacations together, you know, while they're secretly sleeping with each other. And if I'm being honest, these are the kind of behaviors that can get someone locked up or even worse. I mean, it's one thing to find out that you know, your spouse may have been doing things behind your back, but it's another thing to put it in front of your spouse's face. 
but the storge ludus, this is what oftentimes happens. So the best thing that could happen is just that they don't get found out. And then you have storge eros, which is the opposite of agape. And unlike eros, storge eros seeks the perfect love rather than the perfect be love. Okay, so storge eros, unlike eros, unlike agape, seek the perfect love. So it's not about how an individual look, their hair color, their body shape, their weight. None of that matters. It's about the perfect love, not the perfect be love. That's storge eros. That's the opposite of agape. And then we come to mania. And mania is really, really interesting to me. I know in the tail end or at the tail end of relationships with mania, and even during, it can be very, very difficult to say the least and can end horribly. But uh, some differences of mania and eros, like for instance, on first contact, Eros is emotionally, people who embody that love style, Eros, it gets emotionally upset with the person that they may think is that ideal for them. But they're very hopeful. But the reason they get upset is because when we see that individual, it's rare and they're not ours. And it upsets us that they're not ours. But we are hopeful because we want that person right away. We just think that they're the answer to everything they're the answer to what we've been looking for and so we want to take it and grab it and hold on to it and never let it go as soon as we see it so it kind of upsets us but we're we're hopeful that that can happen whereas mania is hesitant and has self-doubt eros is optimistic mania lovers believe the worst that's the difference between mania and eros. Now, when you we talk about mania and ludus eros, which is the opposite of mania, I said to you before, mania is eros and ludus, and that's the compound, while ludus eros is the mixture. The difference is this. Mania tends to be discontent with life. While Ludus Eros tends to be content with life. They don't seem to be disrupted by what's going on in their life. And they're pretty, pretty uh, stable. Mania lovers can accept all forms of abuse and disrespect. While Ludus Eros has self-worth showing equanimity between the two. Okay, so Mania tolerate abuse you know because their self-worth and self-esteem is is really low whereas the more balanced ludus eros will know when to say when enough is enough so mania can never be the first to break off the relationship while ludus eros maintains ludus ability to walk away when deemed necessary Again, that's that mixture. Ludus Eros is the mixture. So they maintain each of their qualities. 
and one of those qualities with Ludus, as we know, they can walk away, walk away very easily. So Ludus Eros, Ludus Eros, it knows what it's looking for. Unlike the mania lover who projects characteristics lacking within themselves onto another. But this is, is what's very interesting. And this is when, this is where we're going to get into the appraisal and the bestowal of the episode. And I think this is really fascinating and also kind of like a paradox because it leaves us all in a situation where we are confused. So Ludus Eros displays a delicate balance between intensity and detachment. Now mixtures, unlike compounds, are about balancing the two traits to bring about the perfect equanimity, that perfect balance. That's what the mixtures are about. The right amount of intensity is needed so that an individual knows when to pull back and when to move forward. Remember, too much is mania and too little is ludus. So where mania is excessive, that can disrupt a relationship. And where too little is efficient, there's really not a relationship or at least not a real commitment. Ludus, you want to move forward when love is being reciprocated, but you also want to be able to pull back when your love is being neglected, taken advantage of, or abused. So again, it's about trying to have that perfect equanimity. The same with detachment. Too little will have us not being properly engaged and see the relationship slowly deteriorate. But having too much attachment will cause dependency, resulting in a person losing their own identity while in the relationship. So again, we need the right amount. We need that balance. That's the key. That's always the key is the balance. Too much is excessive, too little is deficient. Neither one is good. And talking about the balance is where we get into the appraisal and the bestowal process. Now, every style has a process of appraisal and how they obtain what they want. And I'm talking about every love style. Eros wants the idea of beauty. Pragma wants the ideal character. Storge wants the best friend. And Ludus wants the alternative experiences. This is the overall sum of each one's process of appraisal. Each one places a value on how an individual's talent can appease their needs and desires. However, Appraisal alone is not enough because relying only on appraisal gives the perception that a person can meet the objective that is being unconsciously brought into reality, which is perfection. 
So you see, we unconsciously, most of the time, want perfection, even though we say that it's not realistic to obtain. But every time someone makes a mistake, uh, raise their voice when they shouldn't, say certain words that they shouldn't, behave in a certain manner that we feel is unnecessary, we're going to have something to say about it. And I think that's natural. But the first thing we say when it comes to ourselves is that, you know, well, I'm not perfect. No one's, no one's perfect. Well, and you're right. And we, well, we give ourselves more leeway than we give others. But that's how appraisal works. We're not appraising an individual that we would like to date or settle down with or are attracted to. We're not appraising them for negative attributes. We can't use negative attributes. Remember, we're not going into it with an agape love style. No one has that. We're not right off rip saying we're going to marry this person who doesn't fit the bill, so to speak. That's not how we operate. That's how the supreme being may operate, but that's not how we operate. Our, our appraisal is trying to see how this person can meet our needs and our desires. So although we say we're not looking for, looking for perfection, unconsciously, that's what it turns out to be. That's what we kind of give off, the energy that we give off, the thought process that we truly have. Because no one wants pain, no one wants hurt. We want peace. But since no one can meet that standard of perfection, grace has to be certain and that bestowal love must be given. Herein is where the problem lies. The number one attribute we bestow upon, upon people is trust and or worthiness when they do not deserve either. Though appraisal has the capability of locating and or finding value in another, bestowal creates that value in another. And that's the difference. Appraisal can find it. They can search for it. They can see it. They can point it out. Bestowal is the opposite of that. Bestowal creates a value in an individual that might not even be there, that might not even exist in the individual. The individual may not have any value. Again, herein lies the problem of trying to perform the act of equanimity, that perfect balance. Because equanimity is so hard to perfect, the best results usually appear from having to resort to trade-offs. This is why when we try to cultivate a relationship, why we all stumble. You can't just go off of 
the appraisal of an individual because it leaves no room for error when no one is perfect. So if we only go off of appraisal, no one is no one is good enough. No one will be good enough. No one will be able to meet our standards. The problem with that is if we know this, but we give too much of a created value, the bestowal, that gets us in trouble because there are some people who are not worthy of that bestowal love. And it's hard to tell the difference. It's hard to find that medium. And this is what gets us all in trouble. When we get older, we see it a little bit more clearer. That's why we're so hard on our kids. You know, when they're dating probably someone that we know is not good for them, they can't see it. But we can. We can kind of figure out how it's probably going to end up. You know, it's maybe not all the time, but for the most part, because we've been around, we've been through some things. But everybody has to go through it and see it for themselves. We didn't see it. Some of us still don't see it. And we give these this value to this man or, or, or to this woman and it's undeserving. And so we stay in these relationships. And it's not for the betterment of us. It's actually hurts us physically and mentally because we're trying to give this person the benefit of the doubt, which is not wrong. But we just give access. We give too much to the bestowal and not enough to the appraisal. So like I said, because equanimity, that balance, is so hard to perfect, the best results usually appear from having to resort to trade-offs. This is what we usually do. We feel that this is the best course of action. We feel. But let me tell you some of the barriers and some of the obstacles on using trade-offs as a way to make a decision. Trade-offs, number one, diminish the satisfaction we experience from the decision. That's number one. Number two, we focus more on the emotion than the problem. So we have this problem that we're trying to solve and we're trying to figure out the trade-offs, what we can accept, what we can't, what are deal breakers, you know, what's not. And all of that thinking, all of that calculation, it makes us emotional because it doesn't feel good. And so we end up focusing more on the emotion than the problem. And so that leads us into trade-offs interfering with the quality of the decision itself. So it doesn't allow us to make good decisions because we're not really focused in the totality on the problem. We're more focused on our emotions because negative emotions narrow our focus. So the whole from start to finish of trade-offs is a negative experience which causes dissatisfaction, which causes the quality of our decision to not be the best 
all because of the emotion being stronger than what we should be focused on, which is whatever the problem is, whatever the issue is, is whatever it is about this individual that we should be thinking about or taking more seriously than their bank account or how they look or their educational status. You know, all of those things. There are some things that we need to be looking into a little bit more deeply. For instance, the spirits at the end of the day, that's what we are left with is a person's spirit. What is what is that? What does that look like to you? What should it look like to you? I had a client, Jennifer. She was very young at, at, at this point and she fell in love with a, a young man. She ended up dating him, although everyone told her that he wasn't a good fit. She ended up getting pregnant by this young man. And people said, well, you know, you don't have to to marry him. Now, Jennifer, she wasn't well-versed in relationships. She did. She focused a lot on uh, school and her job. She really focused a lot on her her life and making something of herself. So she didn't have a whole lot of experience with relationships and especially with a young man of this sort. Um, everybody kind of knew that this young man was kind of a um, of a ludus love style, so to speak. But she couldn't see it. He told her he would give her the moon and the stars, and she believed it. Okay. She has a very good heart, innocent heart. Uh, so can't really blame her. You know, she comes from good stock. But she didn't have to marry him. But what did she do? She weighed her options. You know, she could have a baby out of wedlock, which is something that she did not want to do. She could have the baby out of wedlock. Okay, she might not be married, but then would she really have a father for her child? She weighed that option. Would she really be able to find somebody else that supposedly love her as much as he said he did? All of these things she weighed and, you know, pros and cons. She did trade-offs, right? It wasn't a pleasant experience. Fast forward uh, 10, no, actually maybe 15 years, 15 to 20 years down the line. The young man had had moved out of the the house a couple of times, stayed with other women got other women pregnant, had outside children outside of the the marriage while they were married. There was a lot of verbal abuse. There was a lot of neglect. There was just a lot of suffering and pain in the relationship. And then there was the ultimate act. One late night while Jennifer was in the bed, 
her husband comes home, gets in the bed and wants, you know, to be satisfied. But Jennifer, she no longer felt that feeling for her husband anymore because of everything that he had put her through. So the husband decides that that was not an option for her not to satisfy him. So what did he do? He had sex with her anyway. Against, I guess, against her wishes. He raped her. This was what did it for Jennifer. That was the straw that broke the camel's back, as they say. She ended up packing up all her stuff one day, kids and all, and left. Now, some would think maybe she, you know, should have called the police or could have called the police or did, you know, something of that sort because he committed a crime. Well, come to find out, there are, there is, I believe, 10 states where it is, it is not a crime for a husband to rape his wife. There is no such thing. If you are married in one of these 10 states, your husband can do with his wife's body what he will. So he technically did not do anything wrong. He did not break any law. So he could not be prosecuted. My point is, this was the price that she paid for her trade-offs for bestowing more on to this man than what should have been offered. Again, she gave, she weighed too much on the side of the bestowal and not enough on the appraisal. Consider the trade-offs and that's what the trade-offs got her. When we break these things down, you know, we don't think about every little detail that goes into making decisions and making choices for our lives, especially when it's about love because we be so wrapped up in the emotion. And again, that's one reason pragma is so successful because again, pragma, if you remember the emotions come after. But a lot of people are not really open to the culture of pragma and, te and treating a relationship like a business. And I understand that because I'm one of those people. But there has to be some type of a balance. That's the key. So we all go through this appraisal and we all go through this bestowal of attributes and characteristics to an individual but we're going to stumble because it's not easy we're going to stumble the best thing that i can tell you to do is when you do fall and get back up just learn learn from your mistakes dust yourself off don't get too down on yourself if you gotta cry cry if you got to lay in the bed one day, if you got to call off work one day, two days, okay, whatever. But then 
Stand back up, brush yourself off, keep on living and just be stronger for it. Making mistakes is not the problem. It's not learning from them, which creates a real threat to your life. This is Larry Lou, people. Peace.